Welcome everybody to the Troy First Assembly of God podcast. We created this podcast to share our weekly messages from the Word of God, and we're so glad that you're here. Tonight's lesson is going to be a global lesson about the book of Joshua as a whole. And before we get into the minutia of God told Joshua, go here, fight this battle, do this thing, I want us to look at the book as a whole and get a, get a what I call a 30,000 feet view of it. In light of all scripture, now don't get me wrong, I see great value in learning the biblical history, understanding and knowing the stories. And y'all know me, I love history, and I love digging into the minutia of scripture, the, the details. But for us to get the good out of what the Bible's trying to tell us, we have to frame it in an appropriate biblical New Testament context. Hear me say this, guys. The Bible is a book of wisdom. But it's not just wisdom. The Bible has a lot of history, but it's not a history book. The Bible has a lot of science, but it's not a science textbook. The Bible is God opening himself up to us. That's what the Bible says it is. And John 1 says... Jesus is the Word of God. And the same chapter of John said that Jesus came to reveal to us, to open to us the Father, to show us the Father. So guys, while the Bible is a historical book, it is not a history book. And it, it, we're going to miss something if what we're doing is attacking it like a textbook, like an academic book, and it's not. So, let's start here. The New Testament, talking about everything in the Old Covenant, everything in the Old Testament says this. All these things. Now, these things happen to them as an example. Why did it happen to them? Why is all that written down? Because all of it happened to them as an example. And they were written, why? For our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The Bible says the entire, I'm telling you, there is a movement afoot in Christianity today of New Testament only. We don't need the Old Testament. And hear your pastor who loves you tell you that is bunk. Amen? To say that we can discount the Old Testament. Guys, how many of y'all know every time the New Testament talks about Searching the scriptures, and they looked into the scriptures, and Jesus opened the scriptures, and Paul talks about the scriptures and those things that were written and those things you've heard. How many of y'all know there was no book of Mark then? There was there was no none of this was written down. There was not a single codified gospel until sometime thirty some odd years after the resurrection. There was no book. Most of the New Testament, the letters, gosh, 60, 70 years after the resurrection. I, there was no New Testament. If you're talking about what they regarded as Scripture, if you're talking about what Jesus regarded as Scripture, we're talking about the Old Testament. And all this stuff, guys, you cannot say, oh, I don't like that. But see, the Old Testament's where God is old and mad. 
I like the fun God of the New Testament. Because God, all of a sudden, he evidently gets some steroid shot or something, and he turns into a nice, more of a papaw, more of a granddaddy kind of guy. No, God, same God. Same God. And all these things happen as an example. They're written for us. So it's important for us to know God's word, but it's really important for us to understand the example that's written for our instruction. Now, tonight we're going to be talking somewhat about types and shadows. And I want to make sure we're all on the same page as to what types and shadows are. Tonight we're going to be looking at what is called types. Types and shadows are a type of symbolism, a form of symbolism found in Scripture. And it is a primary method of teaching. But hear me say, this is not a primary method of biblical teaching. This is a primary method of any teaching. Anybody here ever teach a five-year-old something? How do you teach anybody anything that they have no frame of reference for? If you're trying to teach somebody something and they don't know anything about it, catch yourself because you'll do what everybody does. Well, it's like this. It works like this. You know how this works? Well, that's kind of like it. That's the way everybody teaches everything. Unless you're just talking about dead out memorization of you got to get up. Three times three is nine. Unless you're talking about dead out rote memorization. The way you get to an understanding of something is take something we already do understand and say it's like that. It's like this. And so guys, types, pictures are widely used all over the scripture. But you use it yourself when you teach. And, and you use a picture that somebody understands. Now, just to show you that you know a lot of Bible types and shadows already. For instance, the church, the called out ones, the saved, the church of Jesus, is pictured in the Bible as a woman, a bride. A building in which we, Christians, are living stones. It's pictured as a human body with Jesus as the head. Y'all all know what I'm talking about. And the church is pictured as a family. Yeah. The Bible says uses all those pictures to try to explain to us how this works. In fact, when Paul talks about marriage, every time Paul talks about marriage, Paul says, what I'm trying to get y'all to see is, marriage is intended to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. Christ and his church. So God uses pictures all the time to teach us stuff. And look what the book of Colossians says. Things which are only a shadow of what's to come. All this in the, New Te in the Old Testament these were shadows, pictures of what was really to come. But the substance belongs to Jesus. The substance of the thing belongs to Christ. How many of y'all, anybody here ever been a Bible nerd and even tried to look into the tabernacle and all the golden golden lampstand and the altars and the, the lavers and the, you know, and the mercy seat and the Indiana Jones box where they were going sprinkled blood you? Guys, how many of y'all know there's a real one in heaven? There's a real one. The one down here was just a picture. 
But the Bible says that Jesus went into the real Holy of Holies as both high priest and sacrifice. There's a trick. He's the lamb and he's also the priest offering the lamb. And he walks into the real Holy of Holies with his own blood shed for us and once and for all sprinkles that blood on the mercy seat. And think this through, guys. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? There's three things in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. There was the testimony, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the original, actually the second set, because Moses broke the first set. Second set of the Ten Commandments, the law, Aaron's rod that budded, because they all had a fight over, well, who made you the leader? And God said, why don't we put this to the end right now, real quick and in a hurry. You give me one guy from each one of the 12 tribes and tell them, bring their walking stick. Oh, dead, dried up walking stick. And just sit them down in front of the, in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And the next day, Aaron's dead walking stick had sprouted leaves and also had almonds on it. Full grown. God said, don't tell me. Somebody didn't do it. I'll show you who I picked. So it's the law, the leadership, and the provision, a bowl of manna. That's what was in the box. Manna, the law, and leadership. Think this through. The place on top of the box was called the mercy seat. And the Bible was very clear. He, the priest could only even go in the same room with the box once a year. And if there was any sin in his life, he fell down dead. But hear me say this. Nobody could ever take, nobody could ever take the lid off the box. Nobody. I mean, it would burn you up to take the lid off the box. Why? Because for God, get that now, because it's such a beautiful picture. For God, the law is trumped by the mercy that is bought by the blood. Leadership. God's leadership of us doesn't come because he's the biggest kid on the block and he can force you. God's leadership comes through the mercy and the forgiveness that is on the top of the box. To get to God's leadership, you've got to go through mercy. you got to go through love. you got to go through forgiveness. To get to law, you got to go through mercy and love and forgiveness. To even get to God's provision. Does God provide for you because, well, I'm telling you, He, you know, He provides for everything. He provides for birds. He provides, He's kind of obligated. No. God's provision for you is topped with mercy and love and forgiveness and His blood. So the picture of the box is, all these pictures are great pictures. So, that's why I wanted to do this tonight. Now, there's two things you've got to keep in mind when you're talking about biblical types, shadows, pictures, and symbols. First, you take them in their own biblical context. You can't just pull this out randomly and say, well, I think it means this. No, you can't. Just think of it. Or have you ever heard somebody say this? which is one of the most dangerous statements a person can make. 
Well, Pastor, I read that, but this is what it means to me. Again, I, if, if we're going to be biblical here, and we are, the Bible says that no interpretation of Scripture can be, nobody gets their own private interpretation. You don't get the opportunity to, well, that's what it means to me. It, it, it means what it means. And the best way to interpret the Bible, you know what the best commentary on the Bible there is, is the Bible. I'll, I know I've had pastors, well, do you use Matthew Henry commentary? Do you use Adam Clark commentary? Do you, I, you know what I use primarily? The Bible. I will find out where else in the Bible does it talk about this subject. Where Because I want the Bible to tell me what the Bible is trying to say. So take it in its context. Second thing, if you're going to do this, is that they are types, they are shadows, they are pictures. You cannot take them to a ridiculous end because they are types, they are shadows, they are pictures. For example, how many of y'all know when Abraham takes his son up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him? In that picture, Abraham is a picture of God. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. Y'all, you get that picture, right? Everybody see? And that picture is amplified. By the fact that it's at the top of the same mountain Jesus was crucified on. It's also the same spot where judgment was turned for King David. It's, a, it's an important spot, geographic spot. But that picture is amplified. So Abraham is the picture of God Almighty. Isaac is the picture of the willing, sacrificed son. Right? But how many of y'all know you can't take the picture out to a ridiculous end? Because anybody read enough to know, Abraham lies a couple times about his wife being his sister. <laughs> well, I mean, she's his half-sister, so it's a half-lie. But, I mean, you can't... You, well, I thought Abraham was supposed to be the picture of God. Picture. He is not God. And you can't take it to a ridiculous end. So you have to be careful when you get interpreting like this. Now... To the meat for tonight, Joshua, the book of Joshua. Well, let's start where you have to start with the book of Joshua, the name of Joshua. Many of you already know this, but Joshua in the Old Testament was not born Joshua. The name his parents gave him was Hosea. Hosea means salvation. It is Moses who changes his name to Yehoshua or Yeshua. Yahashua, the Yeh of that is short for Yahweh. And it doesn't just mean, Hosea means salvation. Yahashua or Yeshua, which is how you would say it in Hebrew. Yeshua is God is salvation. Now, get the distinction here, guys. God has become my salvation. Not my good works, not my merits. God himself is my salvation. It's a subtle difference, but the name doesn't mean God brings salvation or even God gives me salvation. It's God is my salvation. And guys, I'm telling you, if your salvation is in anything other than 
Jesus. Jesus is my salvation. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That stem is dead on right. Not of any good works of mine. There is a, how many of y'all know the very best we can do is filthy rags? Right. That's the best we can muster. So God, Jesus, actually, Yahashua, Yeshua, is my salvation. Now, what's crazy about this is, this name, Joshua, it's exactly the same name that they called Jesus when he was walking on the planet. Jesus, you have to understand where you get the word Jesus. And I know, I, I love the Gaither songs too about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. But the name was never Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew becomes Jesus in Greek. And how do you spell Jesus? Well, the Y in Greek is a J because they have no Y. J is pronounced Y in Greek. So J-E-S-U-S, -E Jesus, is the Greek form of the name Yeshua. But if you were to look into your Bible, and if you were to be able to read it in the original languages, when the angel told Mary and Joseph, name the boy Jesus, they didn't go, oh my God. What a special name. That is such a that that's that's God's name. Uh-uh. Guys, understand it. While while Jesus was walking the planet, he was Josh, the carpenter's son. That's why people thought he was just regular and ordinary. He was Joshua, the carpenter's son. He was Yeshua. It's the exact same. He's not the only Joshua in the Bible. There's Joshua, Joshua, and then there's other other people named their kids Joshua. But the name means God is my salvation. God is salvation. But the name that Jesus walked around with, his mama called him Yeshua. The disciples called him Yeshua. And to them, it was exactly this same name. God is salvation. And the angel said, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a bunch of parallels here for Jesus and Joshua. Most of them you can figure out for yourself. Uh, like we said in our first lesson a couple of weeks ago, Joshua was a servant first. Philippians says that Jesus came not as God, but he took on the form of a servant. Joshua was not the one who brought the law. You might have never thought about this, but guys, the law came through Moses. Joshua was the one that took him on into the land. But Joshua didn't bring the law. The law came before Joshua. And what does John 1, 1, 1 say? Not John 1, 1. John 1, toward the end of the chapter, says, The law came through Moses, but grace and the truth came through Jesus Christ. Joshua was a warrior, constantly out in front of the people. And Joshua was consistently obedient to both Moses and to the Lord. Guys, of, of all of Joshua's faults, rebellion against the Lord never figures into his plan. Joshua does a couple of dumb things as we go through this book. I mean, he really does. He'll make a couple of stupid mistakes. But he never, he never tells the Lord, no, I don't want to do that. 
And guys, here's a great picture of Jesus in that, not my will, Father, but yours. Jesus never, Jesus said, lo, I have come to do your will. And Jesus, without a doubt, is always the warrior out in front of us, taking on the enemy that otherwise would have taken us all down to hell. Jesus was obedient in all things, even obedient unto a death on a cross. Now, the good part. Joshua led them to cross over into a new life. Joshua was the one that took them on in. You know why? Because law can't. Law can't get you there. Law can't take you in to the promised land. It takes Yeshua to get you in to the promised land. This one has a lot of parallels. Joshua crosses the Jordan River at a spot opposite the town where the Israelites faced their first battle, Jericho. So they're at the Jordan River opposite Jericho. Now you've got to read carefully and you have to know a little bit about uh, uh, Israeli geography to understand this. But John 1.28 says, These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John the Baptist was baptizing people. Now the very next day from this scripture, Jesus comes walking up and says, I want you to baptize me. Now, if you don't know the geography of the place, it won't make any sense to you. But if you look at where is Bethany just beyond Jordan, Bethany just beyond Jordan is a place called Beth Abara. And that shouldn't mean anything to you. Other than y'all been around me long enough to know that Beth means house. Like Beth Lehem means house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. Of course, he's born in Beth Lehem. Beth Abara is the house of the crossing, the place of the crossing. And the reason they named Beth Abara, that spot in the Jordan River, Beth Abara, is that's where Joshua crossed. Now, 1,500 years later, Jesus comes to that exact same spot and begins the work that allows us to cross into new life. God's attention to detail is just phenomenal. But he's standing there at Bethlehem getting baptized in the same river that Josh crossed. Now, all right, actually, it's where I want to spend the bulk of our time from here. There's a lot of other type shadows and pictures in there. And if y'all know the story of Rahab, the harlot, who took in the two spies, because that's all you need, 12 spies will get you in trouble. The two spies, the fact that she's a prostitute, and it didn't just save her, but her whole family, and there's all kind of Passover references and the scarlet cord. Now, we're going to do that on a Wednesday night all together. But let me ask you a question. Go back to the promised land. According to all the old hymns, According to all the old spirituals, what does the promised land represent? When you cross that river Jordan and cross over into the promised land, what did the hymn writers think that was? What? Heaven. God, going to heaven. Y'all ever heard Grandma talk about crossing over Jordan and making it into the promised land? A lot of folks were raised believing Crossing the Jordan is 
going into heaven. And I, I suppose there's a loose correlation there. But guys, if you study what Scripture says, I am convinced that promised land is not heaven. The promised land is not heaven. Well, Pastor, why would you say that? All those wonderful hymns. I mean, swing low, sweet chariot. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for the care of me? No. <laughs> promised land is not heaven. Why? Well, look at what you know from the Bible about Canaan. When they got to the promised land, somebody sitting in this room, tell me, what's the first thing they ran into when they crossed that Jordan? Obstacles. What? Obstacles. Obstacles! What's the first town they came to? Jericho. And how many of y'all know there was a fight? Yes, there was. And anybody know what the second the second fight was? I know I'm asking too much out of you biblical scholars here. AI. AI. Anybody know what happened at AI, the second fight? They lost. Yeah. Whoops. Y'all, they had the tar beat out of them at AI. They had to go back, repent, get right with God, and come back and have another battle. And this one they win because they finally followed God. And they and, and you know what? The, the promised land was full of evil, wicked inhabitants. People that God said drive them out. And many of them, I mean, there are a lot of people have problems with the book of Joshua today because how can God say drive these people, just utterly destroy them? How many of y'all know, you read Jonah, God doesn't lightly utterly destroy anybody. God gives you chance after chance after chance after chance. But when it is over, it's over. But y'all, Joshua goes in there, the Israelites go in there, and that land is full of Hittites and Amorites and Jebusites and Parasites and Zebulites. And, I mean, it's full of evil, wicked people that all have to be fought and conquered. People who were stronger, look at what the Bible says. When the Lord your God, this is Deuteronomy, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to take possession of it, and he drives away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations, look at this, seven nations bigger and stronger than you, that don't sound like heaven to me. <laughs> when I go to heaven, I ain't planning on y'all. What else they got in that in that promised land? Look at Deuteronomy, just a couple verses down in Deuteronomy seven. And the Lord your God will drive these nations away from you little by little, not all at once. You're not going to be able to put an end to them quickly. Otherwise, what else they got over there? The wild animals would become too numerous for you. Now, y'all, when I get to heaven, that, that lion better be laying down with the lamb. Amen. I don't want to have to be running for my life in heaven. I don't want no wild animals up in heaven. No, that is not heaven. And as you go through the book of Joshua, guys, in the promised land, they got prostitutes, they got liars, they got cheats, they got swindlers, they got people who will tell you a story just so you don't kill them and get into a deal with you. And then once they get the deal with them, they say, well, we lied. And in the promised land, you got failures among God's own people. You got times where God's own people steal something. 
You've got times where God's own people lie and have to be judged for it. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. Not my idea of heaven. Fight after fight. Great victories, yes, but pretty much a time. Any y'all read Joshua once before? It's fight to fight to fight to fight. That ain't heaven. That's not, that's not heaven. So if it's not heaven, then what is the crossing of the Jordan and the taking of territory in the promised land? Well, guys, that is a spectacular picture of our victorious Christian life right here. You know what? Enemies, that's what I got to fight right here. Liars, cheats, thieves, that's what I got to fight right here. Uh, how about this? Personal failures of my own, that's what I got to fight right here. I don't fight that in heaven. How many of y'all know you make it to heaven, you're, you're done fighting sin, you leave that back behind you. Amen. I mean, thank God for it, that you leave it behind you. But in the promised land, the Israelites have to fight themselves half the time. Their own evil desires. Well, guys, that's our, that's our struggle right now. That's this life right here. So stay with me. And let me take you through this in a big picture kind of way. Because you will think, oh my gosh, God is smart, smart. I mean, God really is. I've said it a hundred times. God is jeopardy smart. He is really smart. Look at it in a big picture way. Take a step back. God finds us in slavery. Now, He didn't create us in slavery. We were created free. And we unwittingly got ourselves into slavery. Y'all with me? Y'all read Genesis, right? He finds us in slavery. First part of Exodus. God Himself accomplishes our deliverance because there's no way we can do anything about it. How many of y'all, have you read Exodus enough to know that there is not a single Israeli who brings a plague? Israelis don't create frogs or hail or blood or any. The Israelis don't kill a single person in their own deliverance. Anybody ever thought about that? God kills a bunch of firstborn. And then God kills a bunch of army that's chasing them. But the Israelis, they don't fight for their deliverance. And neither do you. God doesn't expect you to fight for your own deliverance from slavery. If you don't accept the free gift of deliverance Jesus gives you, you'll never have deliverance. You cannot affect your own salvation. You don't get yourself out of slavery. And neither did they. So what's the first thing God does once he gets them out of slavery? He baptizes them, of course. But the Hebrew says that he took them through the water. They all passed through the water. They passed through the cloud and they passed through the water. It's baptism. And what happened in their baptism? The exact same thing that happens in your baptism. All those things that held you back get left behind you in the it's a circumcision of heart, is what the New Testament says. But look, I think I got scripture here. Do I have a scripture here that pertains to that? Yeah, Moses said to the people standing there right at the Red Sea, don't fear. Just stand there 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will perform for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again, ever. When you get saved and you get baptized, guys, sin loses its control over Praise you. God. Now, you can be stupid and pick it back up and play with it, and, and you know what I'm talking about? And then put it down again and play with it and put it down again. You can do the dumb thing, but it has no more control over you. These Egyptians that held you down, you never see them again. So there's baptism. And then, what happens? What's the next thing? See, God's people are the beneficiaries of the work of God all the way up to this point. Because they can't, they can't affect their own deliverance. They can't affect, they, they can't take out the Egyptian army. So God does it for them. Same with us. Guys, I'm telling you, if God had not on your behalf whipped the tar out of the devil, you wouldn't have the victory over the devil you have today. So that's why you have victory over the devil. It's because Jesus went to hell, tore the place up, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, thank God. And you see what I'm saying? The whole thing ties together beautifully. Now, what's the next thing that happens? Well, guys, I'm telling you, this is why people, after they make a decision for Jesus on a Sunday, they get to Tuesday and they'll tell you, Pastor, I just don't, how can it be that simple? I mean, I just prayed a prayer. Shouldn't it be harder? Well, guys, the work that it took to get you saved was harder. It's just that Jesus did it. The work was harder. It's just that you did not get asked to do it. Jesus did the heavy lifting for our salvation. Can anybody here say, thank you, Lord? I mean, thank you, Lord. Jesus did the heavy lifting. So what's the next thing that happens to the Israelites? They get delivered. They get baptized. And then the word of God starts entering into the picture. And that's when you have a decision. Day to day, are you going to serve an idol or are you going to serve the Word of God? Are you going to serve God? And see, are you going to believe when God tells you something or are you not? How many of y'all know God delivered them without even asking their permission? God brought them through baptism without asking their permission. But when it comes to a commitment to follow His Word, that's up to you. And that decision is made on a daily basis. But hear me say, when God says, I got a great, great future for you, be careful. Because if you say, I don't believe it, it'll cost you another trip around the mountain. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. It works for me just like it worked for the Israelites. God said, Joseph, you can get over this thing. You can get victory over this thing. You, you don't have to go through this. And, well, God, I just don't think, I, I just don't think you're going to provide for I don't think you're going to do it. I don't think you can. Okay, one more trip around the mountain. And how many of y'all know you take that trip around the mountain, you end up coming back to the same spot? Gosh, I'm such an idiot. So then what happens? Once we settle the commitment issue, okay, it's one thing to say, I will accept deliverance. It's another thing to say, I'm going to live in this freedom. Then what happens? Joshua, Joshua, let me say it this way. 
Yeshua takes him through a second baptism. They go through the water again. Anybody know the particulars of the story? They go through another set of water. Well, why in the world would you go through another baptism? Because John the Baptist himself said, I baptize y'all with water for repentance. But one is coming. Here we are here. The one who's coming is Joshua. Joshua's coming. And he's mightier than I am. I'm not fit to remove Joshua's sandal. And he will take you through another set of water. The first set of water gets you out of slavery. The second set of water fills you with fire. Yes. Guys, yes. you can't get into a victory. How many of y'all know living in the promised land was totally different than living in the wilderness? You didn't have to have manna. Because that's a place flowing with milk and honey. It's provision. Now there are fights. But every fight is a done deal before you start if you'll just listen and obey and follow God. They didn't have to win their own fights. They just had to follow God. Every time they followed God, they whooped the tar out of everybody they followed. Every time. And guys, get it. God was fighting for them. They were the ones with the spears and the arrows and the stuff, but God was fighting for them. How else do you explain walls falling down just by a bunch of people going, ah! How else do you explain? We ain't got time to finish mopping the floor with these people. God, can you hold that sun up just a couple of hours? We need just a little more time because we are whooping the tar out of this bunch and I don't want to have to come back tomorrow and finish. Can you just give me a couple more hours? And guys, that's God doing the fighting. But in the promised land, you are baptized for repentance, you are out of slavery, and now you've come across another baptism, another set of water that fills you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the problem with the original set, is they didn't have the faith to grab a hold of God's got this set. But that second bunch had the faith to say, we're going to go on in here and believe that God has got it. See, the first bunch, when they heard the spies come back and said, oh, there's giants over there. There's big old fortified cities. They got terrorists to you. We just can't do it. They said, we can't do it. But you know what? That bunch never went through the second baptism. I don't, I don't know about y'all. You may have never thought of this thing in this global sense. But to me, it's the coolest thing in the world. That it, it, I mean, all these things written for my example. You got to decide. You gonna follow God? It took the Israelites forty years to settle the question of, "Am I going to just start walking when He says let's go?" They cross over two baptisms. The second one is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to interpret it. And once you get it, guys, get it. Here's where we're going to end tonight. Once you are saved, water baptized, committed, and Holy Spirit fire baptized, then what do you do? You just start taking territory. You start moving forward, taking territory, not in your own strength. Israelites could never shout it loud enough to make the walls fall. 
Couldn't make the sun stand still. Couldn't do any of the other miracles in Joshua. It's God's power, His ability. But the Israelites are fighting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing is true of you. Guys, every time you go to war with the powers of darkness... Oh my goodness. How to say this. You, we have got to grow up enough in God that we are not just fighting for, well, i got to fight for me a home place. No, no, no. Some, as they took territory. Guys, let, get the picture. You come across the river, you take that first bit of land. Well, that belongs to one of the tribes. That, those, that's their homeland. But they don't settle down. All the guys keep fighting. Because just because I got my home doesn't mean I'm not going to keep fighting until you get your home. And you get your home. And you get your land. And y'all back there, y'all all get your... See, we all fight till we all get settled. Till we all take territory. Guys, it's a, it's a Christian maturity thing for you to keep fighting after you've got enough for you. They beat the stuff inside of everybody they come up against. Taking territory after territory. And not just good places to visit, but land they can live in. That's what I love about Joshua. Land they live in. Free, and, and get this. Along the way, they free people who want to be a part of this family. The first one is the first city. We'll do a whole lesson on her, but Rahab. Guys, Rahab is a, Jer a Jericho prostitute who lies. You know what that tells me? She's not... Rahab makes it into the book of Hebrews as one of the, the heroes of the faith. I don't know if you've ever caught that. But Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the liar, gets into the book of Hebrews because... She said, I know God's given y'all this city. <laughs> I know God is going to hand this thing to y'all. And so I just promise me this. If I help y'all, me and my family, y'all make sure we get saved. Because I believe that God of yours is going to win this thing. Her faith. You understand, Rahab was not saved by her resume. She was not saved even by her good behavior. Rahab was saved by her faith. The just shall live by faith. And so Rahab, and, and guys, Rahab is as Gentile as they come. But you want to talk about inclusion into the family? This is where we're going to end up. In the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, David's great-great-grandma is a Jericho prostitute who gets invited into the family and she becomes family of God. That's our highest call. Not just for me to get victory in my own personal life, but for me to get across that Jordan, get filled with the Holy Spirit, start fighting, start taking territory, and then grow up in God enough to where, you know what? I'm going to grab a hold of you and pull you on into the family. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you to get a home and you to get a place and fight for you to get off drugs and fight for you to get released from alcohol and fight for you to get out of that addiction. Fight for you. Yes, amen. Guys, they ended up redeeming 
not just that hard of it. But here I go, but it quotes the New Testament in an Old Testament context. You and your whole household yeah. shall be saved. Yeah. Believe. Mm-hmm. And you and your whole household be saved. Right. I hope y'all thought, like I think, that this was worth taking a Wednesday for, because I absolutely love the way the whole thing ties together. Yeah, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we really do stand in awe of you and how cool your word is. Yes. And God, there's a there's a hundred and one things in your word that we've looked at a hundred times and we don't see everything that's there. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that your word says that the good things of Scripture are not hidden from us, but they're hidden for us. Yes. And so God, thank you for letting us just get a glimpse into how your giant plan has been playing out over and over and over. And God, please help us to make this a part of our lives. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Troy First Assembly of God. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning if you're in the area. Our address is 432 South Lincoln Drive in Troy, Missouri. Otherwise, you can connect with us on Facebook. The link for our Facebook page can be found below.